0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, It is good to know that God is with you, Uh, especially in times of adversity. It is very, very, very good to know that God is with you. In fact, it changes everything. Uh, The year is 734 B.C., King Ahaz Ahaz sits on the throne in Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah. And for the last 10 years or so, there have been some extremely worrying political developments on the international scene. Way off in the northeast, 11 years earlier, Tiglath-Pileser III had come to power as the king of Assyria. And the Assyrians were always... A nasty lot. Uh, their viciousness and cruelty was legendary, even in the ancient world. And there's plenty of pottery and carvings and artwork which depicts their extraordinary cruelty. I could put up some overheads, but I won't. It would frighten you and disgust you. Um, and there's plenty of artistic representations of Tiglath Pileser III, which confirms that, just like. Donald Trump and Kim Jong-il, he had an extremely stupid haircut, (laughs) which is always a worrying sign. Uh, Well, under Tiglath-Pileser III, Assyria was fast becoming the new world superpower, conquering all. And they had a particularly nasty way of doing it. They, They went in, they took all the people out, they moved them out, they put other people in, they just wiped nations off, the face of the map. And in actual fact, they were going to do that to the northern kingdom of Israel in the year 722 BC, and Israel wasn't going to exist for the next 2,670 years. So they were a nasty lot. And in the face of this threat, King Ahaz, along with his neighbors, they were all panicking. Uh, To Ahaz's immediate north, the king of Israel and the king of Aram had formed an alliance. And their desire was to form a coalition of nations to defeat Assyria. They They knew they couldn't do it by themselves. But they thought, hey, if we form a coalition, together we might be able to conquer the Assyrians. But King Ahaz, king of Judah, he was dithering he felt that actually the better thing to do might be to make an alliance with the Assyrians themselves. So Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, king of Israel, marched up to Jerusalem and they besieged it. And with armies surrounding Jerusalem, which had shut itself up, it was under siege, with armies surrounding, surrounding Jerusalem, Their plan was to to kill Ahaz, depose him, and put in the son of Tebiel as a puppet king and to get on thereafter with repelling the Assyrians. Well, in the midst of this chaos and mess and fear and confusion, the Lord tells Isaiah to take take his son and to go up and meet King Ahaz on Washerwoman's Road. And God's message to King Ahaz through the prophet is this. Relax. It's never going to happen. Don't worry about it. Do not fear the king of Israel. Don't fear the the, the king of Aram. They're already history. And don't make a pact with the Assyrians. They're a nasty lot. They cannot save you. Just trust me and I will save you. Just trust trust and again the lord spoke to ahaz and said go on then ask for a sign anything you like a monster from the ocean depths a marvel in the night sky whatever you like ask for a sign that'll help you believe that you can trust in me but ahaz replied i will not ask i will not put the lord to the test And Ahaz didn't want to ask for a sign because he didn't want to trust God. He'd actually already decided in his heart, he'd already made up his mind. What he really wanted to do was to make a pact with the Assyrians and to trust in their power to save him. And that's what he did. And it was, of course, a total disaster. So he doesn't want to trust God. He says, I will not ask. And furthermore, he dresses up. you know, this is a word to coming to him from a prophet of the Lord. To reject a word from a prophet of the Lord is to reject the Lord. And he dresses it up in pious language, which is really annoying. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Very annoying. So on that day, Isaiah replied, you really are a pain in the neck. You're wasting my time, you're wasting God's time. God's going to give you a sign anyway. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He'll be eating survival rations, yogurt and wild honey by the time he's 12 years of age. And by that time, the two kings you're so worried about will be long gone. They'll be ancient history. But at that time, you'll have a real problem. you have something really to worry about, the king of Assyria. Now, we don't actually really know what Isaiah meant by those key words about a virgin and a son named Emmanuel. Which virgin? And what did Ahaz understand by these words? Well, we don't precisely know. But the phrase, in essence, seems to be something of a timeline Uh, there's a young girl and she's going to get married and she's going to have a son. And by the time he's 12 years of age, all these things I'm talking about today, Ahaz, will have taken place. This timeline also seems to be a rebuke. Ahaz, picture a girl not yet married, yet even in such uncertain times as these, she still names her son Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Just as Isaiah himself had named his son um, as Shia Jeshab, meaning a remnant will return. So too, this young woman names her son God is with us. That she knows that she can trust God. And she knows that when God is with you, that changes everything. For you know that no matter what's happening around you, you have a future. So this seems to be the substance of the rebuke. King Ahaz, if, if, if a young girl, still living under her father's roof, if a young girl can trust God and know that God saves, what excuse could you possibly have, King Ahaz? None whatsoever. It's, it's not hard to trust God. You just have to let go of trying to save yourself. Well... Some 730 years later, some 17 generations later, King Ahaz's direct descendant, Joseph, son of Jacob, is engaged to be married to Mary, who is also a descendant of David, both of them coming from the tribe of Judah. Although Joseph is a direct descendant of the royal line, a son of David, in other words, one who could be king, he himself is not a king. Actually, he's a carpenter, and he lives in the new. And amazingly unfashionable development called Nazareth, um, the Palestinian Styx. Not even in the land of Judah. No, it's to the north. It's in the land of Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles. The royal throne isn't even occupied by a Jewish family. No, actually Herod and his family sit on the royal throne, courtesy of the Romans, uh, and they're Edomian. they're, they're, they're um, from, from uh, Edom. The, the Jews haven't had a Jewish king ruling over them for centuries. Well, Joseph finds out that the girl he is engaged to is pregnant. And it is probably right to assume that Mary was showing, so in fact everybody knew. And in such a conservative culture, this would have been deeply shocking, although not for that ne- reason necessarily all that uncommon. Joseph would have assumed that the most likely explanation for this pregnancy was that actually Mary's heart belonged to somebody else. The right thing, the kind thing, therefore, would be just to slip out of the picture as quietly as possible so as to allow Mary to marry the father of her child with whom Joseph would have presumed Mary was in love. And Joseph, we read, was a kind man. He he, he was righteous and devout. He responds graciously, deciding to divorce Mary quietly, for uh, engagement was uh, a form of marriage in those days. It was a binding promise, although you hadn't started living together. Um, He decided to divorce her quietly rather than to shame her publicly. But indeed, as our text tells us twice, This is something totally extraordinary, totally unprecedented. Uh, Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Mary is a virgin in the ancient sense of an unmarried girl living under her father's roof, as well as being a virgin in the contemporary sense. She had no experience of sexual intercourse. All of this is so inconceivable if you'll forgive the pun, and it is a pun, all of this is so inconceivable that we all require explanation and reassurance. I mean, like... You've got to be kidding me. Are you really asking me to believe that? Well, Joseph, God was asking him to believe it, and he gave him a revelation in a dream. And I think we can assume it wasn't any ordinary dream. Joseph woke up knowing that he'd been visited by God. He'd heard from God, not in the ordinary way, so to speak, of an oracle coming through the mouth of a prophet, but rather in an extraordinary way of being spoken to directly by an angel of the Lord. So he got his reassurance, He got his explanation, but we as readers, we also need some justification for this, some explanation, some reassurance, some pacification in our alarm. I mean, tell me, how is this biblical? We're thinking to ourselves. And then Matthew, our author, tells us how it's biblical. Taking Isaiah's words to King Ahaz, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Matthew tells us that these words are being fulfilled in what's happening to Joseph and Mary. In other words, whatever it was that it may have meant to Isaiah, whatever it was that Ahaz thought he heard exactly, that meaning was less than the true meaning of these words as God had spoken them. Those words 734 years earlier had a huge meaning that all of those actors were unaware of. Now God brings them to fulfillment through Joseph and Mary. Now in King Ahaz's day, God was with his people spiritually and politically, acting and speaking so as to save. Now we have a different thought and it's the fulfillment of that thought. In Joseph's day, God is with his people, spiritually and politically, but also physically and literally present, acting and speaking so as to save through Jesus, who is literally God with us. That's why he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He is God, and he will save his people from their sin. And that's really good news because actually sin is the ultimate enemy. I mean, we might think North Korea is the enemy. We might think poverty is the enemy. We might even think Donald Trump is the enemy. But but actually sin is the enemy. That's the ultimate enemy. It's sin that separates us from God and from each other. It's sin that makes us shrink back from God uh, and run from him. It's sin that makes us unable to trust him and unwilling to believe. It is sin that makes us do the wrong thing and fail to do the right thing, and so to live self-destructive lives. It is sin that leads to broken relationships within families, between families, within nations, between nations. It is sin, ultimately, that kills us and leads us to hell. So it's good to know that God is with you because that changes everything. And in fact, if God is with us, it 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 doesn't just change everything, it reverses everything. Everything broken or damaged by sin, restored and repaired. And that's the, the astonishing good news of Christmas. The people of God, God is with us. Most assuredly, we have a future, a good future, in fact, an eternal future, because God is with us ultimately and finally and fully in Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. All we need to do is trust him. Just trust, and he will save us. The Lord be with you.